Hey guys, welcome back to the College Age Movement Podcast. We have uh, kind of been on a little bit of a hiatus. The summer is just an insane time. Uh, the last time that we posted was the first part of our Wilderness series. We had a couple guest speakers, and we're going to do everything we can to track down their content and see if they can record uh, their sermons that they gave. We have Josh and Rachel Gilligan for that. And this week, we're starting a new series. Uh, we're starting a series entitled Kings and Covenants. And what it is, is we're going to walk through the four main characters of the book of 1 Samuel. And the characters are Hannah, Samuel, Saul, and David. And we're just going to look at how their unique relationships uh, with God and their humanity and all those things define some very uh, amazing understandings that they've kind of uh, laid out for us to to live by today. And this first week, I'm really excited to to walk through um, the story of Hannah. She's, She's only present for two chapters in the entire Bible uh, but this this interaction that she has with God and the interaction that she just has with a, with a prophet Eli is so amazing. And then she has a prayer in the second chapter. And so we're going to walk through the first two chapters of this uh, book. And we're going to start uh, by just doing a little quick Spark Notes version of First uh, Samuel chapter one verses one through five. So here's a little bit of a backstory. Hannah is one of two wives to a man named Elkanah, and there's another uh, wife named Penea. And she is just poking fun at Hannah because of this reason. It says that Hannah's womb had been closed, but she was... She was Elkanah's first wife, and so he favored her. But because of their culture and because of the the pressures to have children, he married a second woman. He's able to have multiple children with her. And then Penea says it just just ridicules her and provokes her. And so we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. And it says this. It says, Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on, this went on year after year. But whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. But this is something really important that we have to understand because Hannah understood that a response without grace wasn't a response worth giving. She understood that a response without grace wasn't a response worth giving. You see, that woman had it coming, but Hannah knew that there wasn't any fruit in taking actions toward her. Instead, she prays. Instead, she, she, she eventually, as we walk through the story, she just stops and she prays about what God would have for her. And, and she prays earnestly and honestly. You see, today we live in a culture where aggressive action is the go-to instead of patient prayer. Aggressive action over patient prayer. Now, we can't confuse patience with passivity. We, we need to speak. We need to be at the forefront of things. We need to be the first people to speak up when, when we believe in something. If there's a, a, a situation or there's something that we want to advocate for, whatever it may be, we need to be the first piece, people to speak up. But when we speak up, it should be after patient prayer, that we shouldn't be acting out of aggression. And I wish that, that I could say that in every situation in my life, I've stopped and I've been willing to patiently pray about a situation before I give my opinion or before I speak, but I haven't. You see, what Hannah understood is that instead of reacting, instead of acting out in aggression, she stopped and she prays. And even though Penea is, is provoking her and ridiculing her for something that she doesn't have any control over, she still had the, the ability to stop and have grace. And I think that that's something that we can learn from, that we need to be stop and be the people that, people, the people that others look at and say, wow, look at, look at the, the patience they have. Look at the grace that they have towards people. Look at, they always respond. Even if they disagree, they always respond 
in a way that is respectful. They always respond in a way that you can tell they thought through their response, that we don't want to be people who, who don't think. We want to be people who always are patient and always respond after we pray. So the story goes on in chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. It says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed. So this is where, where this prayer comes in. And she prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look to your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. That last little bit is the Nazarite vow. It's, it's this a commitment to the Lord that, that she was willing to do, that her son would be somebody who would live in the house of the Lord, in the temple, and would serve the Lord all the days of her life. But she knew that there was so much value in having a son, that she wanted to know that, that her life meant something, and having a son would have brought so much value to her life. But Hannah understood that faith was necessary and that faith is necessary in all circumstances. She understood that faith is necessary in all circumstances. It could have been so easy for Hannah to lose faith in her situation. Nothing was lining up. Her life wasn't working out the way that she wanted it. It wasn't lining up the way that she expected it to. Yet, she had faith to ask within the anguish. I think that that's really important that we understand. She asked within the anguish that I wish that... that I could say that, that I'm always willing to stop and ask within the anguish, but sometimes it's easier for me to walk away from counting on God in the midst of my struggles and in the midst of my pains. My humanity often shows instead of my humility that I, that I don't want to humble myself and ask God within my pain. I just want to just camp in my pain, and I want, I want everybody to know that I'm going through, going through it, and I, I want to feel all of the pain, and I, just, I want to feel bad for myself. I want to throw a pity party. And I, and I like to walk away from God in a lot of those times instead of stopping and turning straight to God and saying, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I need. I don't understand what's going on. And having a real and honest and raw, vulnerable conversation with God. See, so often we don't feel like we can have that vulnerable conversation with God for one reason or another because we feel guilty about approaching God with our wants. We feel guilty about approaching God with our needs. But we need to be people who are willing to pray in our pain. Pray in your pain every single time that, that we would understand that, that God is the great healer. He's the great deliverer. He needs to be somebody who we turn to, not turn away from in the midst of our pain. See, two of the biggest problems with praying in our pain are this. One, it requires us to admit that we're in pain. And a lot of us, especially males, we don't like to admit that there's anything going on. We like, we like to pretend like we've got it all together. And secondly, it requires that we stop and address it. And, and not very many of us are good at stopping. Most of us are go, go, go all the time. We're always trying to, to accomplish things. We're always trying to do new things. We're, even if we're in pain or we're in struggle, what we like to do is we like to kind of like try to shift ourselves around those things and just kind of leave them off to the side of the road and just keep trucking along. But what, what God would ask of us is that we would stop that we would have that time of patient prayer, but that we would recognize our pain and that we would offer it up to God. There's a quote by an incredible communicator named Mike Foster, and he just simply says this, you can't heal what you won't reveal. You can't heal what you won't reveal. And that that's powerful. And that's been very relevant and very applicable in lots of different areas of my life. But one that really, really stands out uh, right now here at our church, it's camp season. We have six different camps, two weeks of kids in junior high and high school camps, respectively. And, and uh, we're right in the midst of it. And 
camp was always something that was so significant for me because it seemed like every year God had something where it's like, hey, you've been holding on to this. You need to let it go. You, you need to give this to me. You need to to bring other people in and, and have a conversation about it. And I, I distinctly remember a conversation that we had in my super senior year. So it was after my senior year of high school, walking into my first year of college, that we were sitting in a cabin with eight other guys. And one guy after, after a session just had the, the courage to bring up something that he had been struggling with for a really long time. And so we sat there and we talked through it. We prayed for him. We cried together. We encouraged and we got done, and you kind of take that deep breath, and then somebody else says something like, you know what, since he had the courage to do that, now I'm going to say this. And after, by the end of it, all eight of us had just laid it all out, and we spent four hours as these just eight 18-year-old guys having this deep conversation about revealing all of our mess and our brokenness, but understanding that if we wanted to heal, we were going to have to put it out there. We were going to have to have a conversation about it. And Hannah knew that if she was going to heal, she was going to have to, at the very least, express her anguish, express her pain, and have a conversation with her God. You see, we are people in desperate need of a Savior, and she knew that she wasn't going to fix anything on her, no- on her own. She knew that she needed God, and you and I need to understand on a daily basis that we are in desperate need of a Savior, too. You see, there's this thought that's been going around the church for the last few, few years, if not few decades, and it's this, it's don't just pray when you want something or don't just pray when you need something. And I think that that is very true. I don't think that we should just approach God when we need something from him or when we want something from him. But we've almost taken it the complete opposite direction and said, well, don't ever pray if you're in need. Don't ever pray when you're in want. But I, I, I truly believe that we serve a God who, who finds joy in our joy. And I think that, that you and I need to have faith today that God cares about what we want. We get so wrapped in this idea that God doesn't care what we want, that he just has an agenda for us. And I, I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus finds incredible joy when we are in joy. Now, that needs to fall within healthy boundaries. Obviously, he wants our joy to be safe. He wants our joy to, to fall within the guardrails that he set out for us. But that's why we have scripture. That's why we have mentors. That's why we have people who help us figure out what is, what is healthy for us. That, that it's not just about, oh, I could do this. It's about, should I do this? But if it falls within that, like understand that God wants you to be happy. He wants you to, to do the things that you're passionate about and, and find the things and the people that, that you love being around. He's not just in it for an agenda. He wants us to, to pursue his kingdom and, and to expand his kingdom, but, but he also wants us to be happy while we're doing it. Just believe that today. Don't let anybody tell you that God doesn't care about your joy. He, he wants things to get accomplished And he wants things to happen in our lives, but I truly, truly believe that he wants them to happen in a way where we will enjoy pursuing the kingdom of God. And sometimes life will be hard, and sometimes we'll be in hard situations, but but he will bring us joy that we maybe even didn't know was there. He's going to put us in situations that initially we'll be like, I don't really want to do that, but I believe that he will will show us that, that there was more joy in that circumstance than we could have ever imagined. So as we move through the story, next there's this interesting interaction between Hannah and the prophet Eli. You see, Hannah is praying earnestly in the temple. She goes to the temple, she's praying, and her lips are moving, but she's not making any noise. And the prophet Eli, he, he walks over to her and he says, woman, you're drunk. You need to leave this temple, which kind of sets this, this idea of what faith was like, that, that Eli was so convinced just because somebody was moving their lips that they were drunk, that this wasn't an uncommon thing for people to come into the temple drunk. It was a broken, messy, 
time, and not that it's not a broken, messy time now in the church, but we can we can take a little bit of comfort that the church has never been perfect, not not now, not thousands of years ago. But but Hannah looks at him and she goes, no, no, that's not what's going on. I'm praying, and the reason that I'm praying is because my womb is closed, that I haven't had a son, I haven't had a child yet, and I'm just praying to God that, that he would do something miraculous in my life. And then there's this small little conversation between them, and Eli just blesses her. He prays for her. He blesses her. And he says, I believe that you will have a child. I believe that God will come through and that he will give you what you want. We'll pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20, and it says this. It says, So in the course of this time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. So the question that I would have for you today is this, is what are you needing to ask God for? What are you needing to ask God for? Now, this might not be the most dynamic point, but the question bears repeating on a daily basis. An encouragement for you today would be to open up a dialogue with God. Express the desires of your heart. Express what you're passionate about. You see, he knows already. He knows you better than you know yourself. But it's not about him knowing. It's about you releasing those things that you have been holding on to so tightly. That when we have that dialogue with God, when we have that conversation with God, and we say, Lord, this is what's on my heart. This is the things I need to just to speak it out towards you, to you. It's not about him, him like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that that's what you wanted. He knows what you want. But it's about us letting go of the things that we've held on to so incredibly tightly. So then Hannah takes Samuel to the temple after he's born and dedicates his life to the Lord in service to the temple. That she's taking her one and only son and she's, she's giving him to the temple, which means that her relationship with him will not be like a relationship between a normal mother and a nor- normal son. But this was her covenant. The, the title of the series is Kings and Covenants. And this, this was her covenant, that she had made a covenant, a vow, a promise to God that, if she, that he gave her a son, she would dedicate him to, to the Lord for all the days of his life. She was holding up her end of the bargain because God held up his end of the bargain first. So now we're going to walk into the second chapter of 1 Samuel. And this is simply a prayer that Hannah is speaking after dedicating Samuel to the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 say this. It says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. You see, Hannah understood that God is who he says he is, a deliverer. Hannah understood that God is a deliverer. You see, Hannah was being mocked by the other wife, and it turned into a distraught plea to God, but that's okay because she realized that disgrace was the ground on which God established deliverance. Her disgrace was the grounds on which God established her deliverance. Uh, You may be in the midst of something right now, But understand that whatever life has brought to you, God can take you through. Whatever life has brought to you, God can take you through. That your disgrace or your shame or your pain could be the grounds on which God provides deliverance. And if we can understand that that we have a God who delivers, we have a God who saves, that we would have confidence that, that God hears us, let's be like Hannah and understand that and then praise him when he does it. Praise him when he comes through. Praise him when he delivers. Wherever you're at today, allow God the space to prove himself. Allow God space to do something incredible. 
When he does, delight in that deliverance, praise God, not just for what he could do, but for what he's already done. I think what's really important is that, that we look at our past and we say, hey, thank you for the things that you've done. We look at our current situation, we say, thank you for the things that you're doing. And we would, we would project things into the future and say, God, I know you're going to do incredible things moving forward. Verses four through five of chapter two says this. It says, the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength now. Those who are f- were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who had many sons pines away. See, Hannah understood that God often works outside of natural expectations. Through this prayer, she says, those who were strong are now weak, and those who were weak are now strong, and those who were full now hire themselves out for food, and those who were hungry are hungry no more. And what she was saying is that, man, our God is a God of surprising reversals, isn't he? He takes a broken and, and the, make, the messy things, and then he makes something beautiful out of them. And that should bring us so much excitement because you and I are broken. We're messy people, and God is a God of surprising reversals. As human beings, we set expectations and we set stipulations and we say, these are the type of people that God will work with and these are the type of people that God won't work with. But God is a God of surprising reversals. He will take in broken situations, he will take our expectations, and then he'll challenge those expectations. And in this next season, my prayer would be that we would expect God to ruin our expectations. Have the expectation that God will ruin your expectation and understand that what he has for you is far better than anything that you could have for yourself. And look at people that way. As we look at people and we say, oh, I don't know if they're usable, that we would look at people and we say, no, that, that's a broken, messy person. I bet God could do something incredible with them. And what's amazing about that statement is that we're all messy and we're always broken. So we can look at almost every single person that we come in contact with and be like, wow, God could do something really incredible there. So let's be people who look at that. It's been prevalent throughout my entire life. My expectations have been shattered in every arena. In my marriage, what I expected my marriage to be was very different, and it wasn't bad. It was an incredible thing. All the expectations I set for marriage were blown out of the water, that I thought I was getting into a good situation when I was getting into the best situation I could have ever imagined, that God took something good and made it spectacular. In my parenting, like we, we weren't planning on having kids until we were 25, and we never say that Maddox was uh, an accident, but he was not planned. And uh, he, we, we wanted to adopt first, and we had this whole plan laid out, and it was going to be when we turned 25, and all these different things that we had set in place for, for what life was going to look like. Instead, God gave us Maddox, we adopted Zara second, and Maddox became this incredible teacher and big brother and this, this advocate for his sister, and, and it, it's better than anything we could have ever possibly imagined. In my vocation, everything that I thought I was going to do got flipped on its head, and it was this winding roller coaster to get where I am at today. But God made things happen for a reason. I learned things through the process, that I built relationships within the process, that things happened for a reason. And every time I set expectations, God took those expectations. He did something different, and sometimes it was challenging, but it was always, always better. I think that what we have to understand is that our expectation, expectations do a couple different things. First of all, our expectations limit our adaptability. That if we set stringent expectations on what this situation holds or what this relationship is going to be or what this vocation is going to be, we, we lose our ability to adapt. And we need to be adaptable people because life comes at you fast and life happens in lots of different ways every single day. We need to be people who are willing to adapt and find the, the things that God wants from us and the, and the things that God needs from us and the things that God wants us to do in every situation, not just the ones that we are like, oh, this is where I expect God to use me. Understand that he's going to take those expectations, he's going to shatter them. So be adaptable. Don't set such stringent expectations. Secondly, expectations can limit our capacity to dream. 
See, what, what happens so often is that we set expectations for a relationship or we set expectations for a vocation or we set expectations for whatever it may be or even our relationship with Jesus. And then something incredible happens and we, we reach those expectations. But then here's what happens is that we then are like, well, now what? The expectation that I set is now, it's met. And now it's really hard for us because we set such a strict expectation on the situation to, to dream more. So set loose expectations. Set, set expectations that you, you are willing, willingly going to hand over to God and say, hey, here, here's my expectation, but do what you would want to do with this situation. Do far greater than I could ever dream, that I could ever imagine. See, naturally, we're going to have assumptions, and we're going to have expectations, but, but we need to hold on to them loosely and expect God to just shatter them. The last verse we're going to look at is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9, and it simply says this. It says, he will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. And I want to I key in on that. It is not by strength that one prevails. So the last point today is this, his strength, his strength, not our own. His strength, not our own. See, we need to always bring it back to him. It's about seeing God in our, it's not about seeing God in our stories. And I think that's a, a misconception that we have. We're always trying to look for God in our stories. But what it's really about is recognizing that we fit into the story of God. That, that the key player, the key character in this entire thing is God. It's Jesus. And we have the, the great privilege of, of living within the story. And he has chosen to us to, to equip us, and he will continue to bless us if we simply commit to faithfully following him. That we would understand that we get to be characters in the story of God because he has chosen us. And because we have chosen him. And because we get to faithfully follow him and do whatever it is that he would ask of us to do. Remember, expect God to do exceedingly more than you could ever imagine. Hold those expectations loosely and watch him blow them out of, out of the water. And this was, this was relevant for Hannah's story, because what I love is that as we look through Jewish histories, if, if we look through the documents that talk about the, the, the faith and, and uh, what happened with the Jewish people, we find out that Hannah actually has four more children after Samuel that what she was asking for was one son and what God decided to give her was five children. See, we should, we should and can be people that know that God will keep his end of the bargain and it will often look different. But man, if it's anything like Hannah's story, it'll be far better. She asked for one, she got five. That we'd be willing to be people who patiently pray, pray in our pain, that, that we wouldn't act out of aggression, but Lord, that, that we would turn to the Lord and that we would say, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I feel like I need. This is what, what I'm dreaming about. These are all the things. I, I want to have a real conversation with you and that we would fully expect God to do exceedingly more than we could ever imagine. Hey, thanks for tuning back into the College Age Movement podcast. Uh, we're going to do everything that we can to keep this thing updated throughout the summer. Uh, but the best way to get plugged in is to come to College Age on Tuesday nights. We meet at 7 o'clock in the chapel here at Faith Chapel. And uh, if you can't make it on a Tuesday night, keep listening to the podcast. We hope to see you really, really soon in person. We love you guys, and we'll talk to you very soon.